What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and host of the What to Know podcast show. And today I have a woman named Brooks Bell, who I actually got a chance to hear speak in person back in those days when we could do these things at Techonomy at Half Moon Bay in 2019. Feels like it's light years away. Um, And we actually reconnected recently on a Techonomy happy hour brainstorm. So thank you to Josh and and David for uh, the two of the founders for getting us together. Um, Brooks, we're going to go deep into your story, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your company. You are the founder of a digital analytics consultancy. So give us some context there. First of all, welcome. Give us some context and then we'll talk about your cancer story. Thanks, Aaron. I'm so glad to be on your podcast. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're both agency people. I started uh, my firm, also called Brooks Bell, back in 2003. And we were one of the first agencies that focused on digital optimization. Uh, so we, we optimized conversion paths um, for some of the largest companies in the world uh, and helping them improve their A-B testing programs internally. So we both consult and we still design A-B tests uh, for some big brands. Awesome. I want to talk about your story. And by the way, just for the listeners at home, you know, I try to do questions in advance for these things. And last night at five o'clock, I realized I hadn't gotten Brooks uh, her questions, but she did me a huge favor and gave me sort of a cheat sheet. And she was asking this morning, uh, you know, were these helpful? And I said, you essentially helped me write them. So thank you, Brooks, for being such a great participant. It's always nice when it's that easy. Uh, I do want to talk about your cancer story. And I believe that that was one of the areas of focus of your talk at Techonomy last year. And I was really quite I don't know what the right word is. It, it was, it blew me away, but it was, you did such a nice job at it. And it's really a great advocacy story. And I think we're going to drill into colon cancer and a lot of the questions, what your journeys look like. So let's start by talking a little bit about, you know, what that looked like and, you know, let's take us off from the beginning. Sure. So being the founder and CEO of a digital analytics and conversion agency, I was on the road all the time. And I love going to Techonomy. And so actually it was at Techonomy two years ago that I woke up one morning, I went to the bathroom, looked down, and for the first time I noticed that there was blood in my stool. And so it freaked me out. I was, you know, felt like that could not be a, you know, a healthy thing. And I called it a teledoc that morning. Uh, and to my great relief, they said, it's probably just a hemorrhoid something we all get at some point in our life. Uh, so I went to the rest of the conference and, um, and eventually went back home. And the problem was that the, the bleeding continued. Um, so I, I set aside some time, finally saw a primary care provider. She examined me and she came to the same conclusion um, that it was hemorrhoids. And, but this time it just didn't feel like it was right. It had been over a month of kind of on and off bleeding. And, um, and so I decided that I was going to get a third opinion and went to a gastroenterologist actually cold called them. And when I showed up, they 
sort of tried to turn me away and said I would be charged for the visit. Um, anyway, I accepted the risk, met with the, the uh, physician's assistant, and she had a very different view. She said that my symptoms were consistent with cancer and that two months was too long and that I was not too young to get cancer. Uh, I was 38 at the time. And so we scheduled a colonoscopy four days later and I got it done, woke up and sure enough, they had found a, a tumor. So that was the beginning of of um, you know my cancer journey. Um, a few weeks later, after surgery, we we staged it at stage three A. I had ten inches of my colon removed through my belly button, uh, and then went on to do three months of pretty intense chemotherapy. Uh, and I finished last um, in June of last year, and have been focusing on my health and uh, recovering from that for the last year or so. Um, and I've had four, four clean scans. I feel very good. Um, but I stepped down from my job as the founder of my company, effectively retired. And I've thrown myself into understanding colon cancer prevention. Uh, and my journey so far, I've learned some really shocking things. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I'm glad to hear that you've had some clean scans as of late. And it's a little surprising, I guess, that it took such determination. You know, you were uh, a strong self-advocate and kudos to you for really becoming dedicated to it. I think I'm of the same mindset where you hear that, you know, once you get to 50, you definitely have to get your colonoscopy or, you know, you have to at least start to really be concerned about that. And I think there is a myth and we'll dispel that a little bit more as we go through this, uh, that you could get so, such a thing at age 38. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you learned about colon cancer along the way, because I think people probably have sort of a big picture idea, but they don't really know about the nitty gritty of what it is and what it means and some of the causes behind it. Yeah, I mean, going into this, I was not really interested in healthcare, um, certainly not thinking about cancer. And if you had, um, and, I've, and I've learned some, I mean, some shocking things. Uh, so if, if you had quizzed me two years ago about the, what are the top 10 cancers? I would have started with breast, lung, maybe skin, prostate. I mean, we can go down the list, um, but colon cancer wouldn't even made the list. It would have been maybe at the ninth or 10th once I was really running out of ideas. So first I found out that it is actually number three. It is the third most common cancer um, for, and it's equal in both men and women. Then even more shockingly, I found out that it's very deadly. Uh, it's the second highest death causing cancer uh, for men and women. More people actually die of colon cancer each year than breast cancer. Then I found out that it's skyrocketing in young people. It felt like, you know, I was this weird tragedy, but in reality, it's actually going up 50% in people under the age of 50 in the last 30 years, and it's just getting started. It's predicted to go up another 90% in people under the age of 35 uh, in the next decade. So it's now becoming a young person's cancer. Then, of course, the crazy thing about colon cancer is it's one of the only ones you can actually prevent. 
so when I thought about prevention, you know, like certainly you can kind of, you could prevent lung cancer by quitting smoking. Um, there's lots of lifestyle kind of things we could do, but, um, but most screening really focuses on catching cancer early, like a mammogram. We'll find a lump and hopefully cat it, catch it when it's early stage, like stage one, when it's treatable. Um, but what's amazing about colon cancer is that you can actually catch it up to 10 years before it becomes cancerous. And that is because all colon cancer starts as a polyp and polyps take up to a decade to grow and you can get your polyps removed. That just blew my mind that the super common cancer is also one of the only ones you can actually protect yourself against. Um, and then I found out that polyps are also very common. One in five people have a precancerous polyp in their gut by the time they turn 50. So it, it's just, and I think that I suspect that, that is the reason that uh, colonoscopies are one of the only um, very expensive screening protocols that you know the government uh, actually covers for every American. Um, it's probably I think it had a huge impact on what the cost of um, ACA is and you know Medi Medicare and Medicaid. So that's kind of what I, and then and then actually the last shocking thing is that I assumed that once I had cancer that there was a sprawling uh, industry of philanthropy for colon cancer. That there must be a whole like Komen level uh, charity out there. Um, and that does, actually doesn't exist. The largest nonprofit in colon cancer raised $11 million in 2019. That is less than 1% of what was raised for breast cancer. So it's, there is just a, a, a huge gap um, when it comes to colon cancer. And that's why I'm really excited as an entrepreneur, because of course, um, this is an area that I see opportunity to have outsized impact on saving lives. Um, and as a marketer, you know, we, we could start with marketing, we could rebrand colon cancer from the ground up, we could, um, we could, we could try to get a brand and a celebrity to be the one of the first to actually support this in the last 20 years. Um, I mean, there's so many things that we could do out of the gate to really bring awareness to this. Um, and then we, that can, you know, drive towards prevention and action. So I know there's some other issues, you know, that come with prevention. Now, what's interesting is because you did mention the lack of awareness and, you know, no celebrity. I will say that I do know Katie Couric has been very active now. She didn't have colon cancer, but she did have her colonoscopy, her husband, her has her husband passed away. So, and, you know, and we have a relationship with her. Maybe there's an opportunity to get her more focused on that. I know she does the stand up for, to cancer yes. and obviously is very active, you know, on that front. Katie, but, Katie is great. She, and actually she's a celebrity I'm sort of referring to. She uh, did her colonoscopy in 2000. So that's 20 years ago. And since then um, that effort that she had actually raised screening by 20%. So her, her efforts have had a massive impact already. Um, so if we can get more Katie Couric's to, to uh, share their stories or just simply, you know, support it, I think that there's just, a, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. A lot of impact to be had. There is. And, and again, you know, she's, she's one, but we'll see if we can get more and hopefully someone listening 
uh, today may have some ideas and we do encourage, actually, I know one of the things we wanted to see is if we could get some feedback via Twitter. So as people are listening to this, you had suggested that they might tweet you directly. So do you want to share your Twitter handle with the listeners? My, my Twitter handle is at Brooks Bell, B-R-O-O-K-S-B-E-L-L. Yes, I love uh, any ideas that anyone has for me throughout this podcast. Um, I'm listening. Excellent. Well, and we do know that there are a lot of qualified people that probably have some thoughts or some uh, suggestions. I know one of the other things you pointed out just in the, the prep for this is that one of the other issues is that no one wants a colonoscopy and there's a lot of sort of undercurrent or maybe not so undercurrent against colonoscopies, you know, people making fun of it. Talk a little bit about that component of it. Well, the, I mean, while it's so exciting that we can prevent colon cancer by finding our polyps, um, a colonoscopy is just, it's known as one of the most invasive procedures out there. It's, it's uh, not available to young people um, on I don't know what the average cost is, but I know that in North Carolina, it costs about $2,000 and no one has two grand just sitting around. Um, And so you you can't get it today if you're under the age of 50 without um, at least paying a deductible um, or showing that you have family history. It's and then even for those who are do qualify for it, you have to have a driver. You have to take a day off of work. Um, You have to have real planning and intention to get it done. You have to probably see a gastroenterologist. And I think a lot of people don't even know how to do that. Um, And, and, but probably more importantly, it has a really bad brand. There is a tremendous amount of fear associated with colonoscopies because, you know, someone is going to be looking at your butt and touching it and putting, you know, this long, scary tube all the way up (laughs) as, as deeper, deep as you can imagine. And I think that, idea really freaks people out. Um, and we just haven't done any good marketing to reposition colonoscopies as a life-saving procedure that is actually quite pleasant. I mean, what I talk about it uh, as a fast, a cleanse, and a nap, which is great. three things that I think a lot of people probably could use. Yeah, so if anyone was like afraid of the the COVID uh, nasal swab testing, then this takes it to a whole new level of. Yeah. But I like the I like the you know the the nap part and the cleanse piece. Uh, you also mentioned in sort of our prep that healthcare doesn't feel like they want us to get colonoscopies, and I guess that was the one that really surprised me. And you mentioned the expensive piece, um, but one of the other things you touched on is just not having having enough doctors, uh, gastrointestinal. Uh, doctors to be able to do this. You also mentioned some other issues that come along with this. Talk a little bit more about that. I think that if a colonoscopy costs five dollars, um, it would be a totally different ballpark. You know, if it was easy to do um, and if we had enough supply, then the data backs that we should be getting colonoscopies at a much younger age, um, and uh, and it, it, w- it would just be totally different. So the fact that a colonoscopy requires an uh, anesthesiologist and a specialized doctor and prep and all of that stuff. It just simply doesn't have very much supply. So we need to be careful with, with that supply and with our, with our healthcare dollars. So it makes it for a very high bar for someone to get a colonoscopy at a younger age. I think another, um, 
and there's and there's also a myth of, of that there it, it has a lot of risks of um, perforation. In reality, it's only four out of a thousand uh, is the risk. But a lot of doctors worry about that. It gets a higher risk the older that you get. Um, and then another issue is that that I have been learning more and more about is simply how we do our modeling. When we look at the uh, risk benefit analysis, um, a lot of times the success metric that that epidemiologists look at is how many cancers do we find out of every colonoscopy that we deliver? And that number is comparatively low. Um, you might get, you know, I don't know, actually I don't know the numbers exactly, but um, I think it might be uh, like one or 2% out of people under the age of 50 who will have colon cancer. If we change our business, our, our success metric to look at precancerous polyps instead, that would totally change the models. Um, but there hasn't been any agreement on what size polyp would count, what's the, um, the timeline that it would have become cancerous, what percentage of them become, will become cancerous. It's a much more of a grayscale if we start looking at polyps rather than um, actual tumors. And I think that's what holds back that modeling. But of course, if you look at from a patient-centric approach, I think we would all agree that we would rather have our gastroenterologist catch up, find a polyp than a tumor um, and take that polyp out before it becomes cancerous. So I think that's the, that's what I've been really trying to track down um, and learn as I have began my own journey, becoming a healthcare expert is why, why don't we, why don't we take precancerous polyps? They're also known as adenomas. Why don't we take them more seriously? How can we, what holds us back really from having a more advanced model that can take them into account and then rerun our, our models um, to see if at what point, you know, would it actually make sense from business perspective to offer colonoscopies at younger and younger ages? I think some of that is starting to move in the right direction. Um, the, the U.S. The, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force just last week actually updated their recommendation to start screening colonoscopies at age 45. And this is a kind of a preliminary recommendation is actually open for public comment right now for the next, actually by the time, well, through December. So maybe by the time this is published that the window will be closing. But if it hasn't closed yet, I really would encourage everybody to go and make a public comment um, to help encourage them to make it a final guideline. Because if we do bring screening down to 45, then 20 million more people will get access to fully covered colonoscopies. So I have a related question that we didn't cover before, so I don't know if you're comfortable answering or not, but there is a company called Exact Sciences, right? And we, we actually have worked with them in the past. Uh, they do something called Coligard, and it's a home screening kit. Now, I know there are issues with it in the sense that it's not perfect and it doesn't catch everything. Uh, and sometimes, you know, with tests, there always can be false positives and, and you know, false negatives and things like that. So... Um, any thoughts on, you know, processes like this that do sort of make it a little less invasive and make it a little easier to do 
home screening. I know you have to, I think, see your doctor first, at least your uh, general physician to be able to do that. But Cologuard is very important. Um, and I'm really glad that there is a product like that on the market. The But what the the reason it's important is because there are a lot of people who are older who are very uncomfortable with the idea of a colonoscopy. And this is a backup plan um, that to have something that will help them determine if they have, it basically detects um, microscopic blood in their stool as plus some DNA mutations um, that will basically tell them if they have early stage cancer. So it is super important for catching early stage cancers, just the way that mammograms or CAT scans would also do the same. It is, however, not helpful in finding polyps. It can't find polyps unless they are really on the verge of becoming tumors. Um, and so they, so you're, it doesn't have the same long window of up to 10 years of finding, helping you find out if you have a polyp, removing it and thereby protecting you. Um, so it's, a colonoscopy is still very important, especially if you're younger. Um, and uh, Colgard is also similarly only available to, I think, people over the age of 45 or 50. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you giving some point of view there. And that was uh, good detail that I think people can use. I guess in, in that vein, you know, you have done an amazing job, probably more so than most people would ever do in terms of advocating for yourself and taking precautions Let's talk a little bit about that. And I know you actually have a hashtag that you use that's called uh, hashtag be polyp curious. Talk about other ways that people can push because it does sound like it was a little difficult for you to get someone to take you seriously, especially at age 38. And you had you not gone down this path, it may have just been written off as a, you know, sort of mundane, curable, you know, thing that you could just use some preparation H with and then the hemorrhoid's gone and you're done. And fortunately for you, you actually did catch it and you did have it removed. Uh, but the consequences could have been quite dire had you not done that. Yeah. I mean, I, I got it at probably, if I had waited even probably three or four more months, um, my, my survival odds would have probably dropped a good 20 points. I caught it really at the last possible minute. <clears throat> um, I think about back to... Um, I mean, back to polyps, if we can get people to be polyp curious, just to wonder if they are a polyp producer, if they are that one in five person, you know, who has a couple of polyps, then, and get them to think about that early, if they're, when they're 35 or 40 or 30, um, if they have family history, if, if their parents have had polyps, they're more likely that they too have polyps. No one out there is educating us to even give us that thought, you know, that we might have polyps. Um, I, I look back, I had this moment of being very proactive on my health when I was 35. And that, that year, I was really thinking about looking for screenings that would help protect me from cancer. I thought about a mammogram and a CAT scan and determined those wouldn't be helpful um, because those would only tell me if I actually had cancer. I didn't think that, you know, that wasn't really what I was looking for. I was looking for something that would protect me from cancer. And, oh my God, if I just thought about a colonoscopy, oh, well, that's what I was looking for. If I just known that polyps were a thing, a precancerous thing, oh, I would have done it. And I would have found that I had three precancerous polyps. I would have gotten them cut out. I would have been saved. Um, my sister, now she's uh, um, 37, but she got her first colonoscopy last year because of me. And she found three massive precancerous polyps. 
And I feel like I saved her life because, um, because I got her to get in my, my sister-in-law, she had a colonoscopy because of me. She's in her forties and she had a massive polyp. I mean, I've heard this so many times now of these young people in their thirties and forties getting a, a colonoscopy and, um, fighting for it, finding a reason to get it and finding that they actually have polyps. So that's, um, the problem is that this healthcare system does not support this because the last thing they want is have hordes of 25 year olds clogging up our system, um, wasting all these dollars, uh, you know, just for looking for polyps when not every polyp becomes cancerous. So this is, this is the problem. Of course, uh, on an individual level, we each want to advocate for ourselves. So for those who are not 45, I just talk about, you know, you just want to find an excuse at some point. If you have, you know, if you think you have, if you have blood in your stool, then, um, then you should go down that path. That is basically what allow you to, to get a di you know, justify a diagnostic colonoscopy, and then also talk with your family and find out if you have family health. I mean, family history for, for polyps or for colon cancer. Um, there's been a few people I've talked to who did not realize that they had family history. Another thing you can try to do is get a genetic screening. Um, there's a lot on the market. Uh, those are, I think, vary in price, also can be expensive, but um, get screened for um, Lynch syndrome and some other um, mutations that might suggest that you are higher likelihood for polyps. So there's some things you can do and there should be some um, blood tests coming out on the market in the next few years. One I'm pretty excited about actually does detect early stage, um, actually detects polyps. And so I'm uh, trying to help them move along their, their, um, their clinical trials and learning more about how we can get them commercialized. Um, but so there's a lot going on, but just keeping an, you know, start, starts with simply being curious and wondering if you also have polyps and going through the effort when you have the chance to get it checked out. Well, kudos to you for helping uh, family members and others save lives or prevent uh, the trauma that comes along with getting down that path. I, I guess one last thing, as we think about this shift from moving to a treating sickness to reinforcing wellness. And I think as we do make that shift and there will be more of an emphasis to testing and addressing things early, right? Versus waiting until they happen and then treating them, which is more expensive and is more painful and, and more disruptive. I think there are some simple things that people can do, improvements to their lifestyle that are just good, generic, straightforward ways to, uh, to improve your sort of gut health and to reduce polyps or gut inflammation. So maybe talk about those. Yeah. I mean, lifestyle changes are really hard. I have now, since um, my treatment, I've made tremendous, tremendous lifestyle changes. Um, but if you are up for the challenge, uh, there are definitely some things you can do to reduce your risks. And that is, um, is focusing on your gut health. I mean, our, basically, and that is primarily your microbiome. 95% of your microbiome is in your gut, is in your colon. And, uh, and there are all these things in our environment that are disrupting our microbiomes. And if we have a disrupted microbiome, it follows that that would cause inflammation and DNA mutations, and that would lead to polyps and eventually tumors. 
Um, so keeping your gut not inflamed, I think is important. Uh, so some things you can do is you can see a functional doctor and have them and ask them for a GI map, uh, basically an advanced stool test that will look at all of your different bacterial strains and help you understand if you have dysbiosis and overgrowth of different bacteria. Um, and research is just getting done in this area to try to try some causal relationships between different types of strains of bacteria and, um, and tumors. I think it's still a very early stage, but at least finding out if you have a healthy flora uh, is, is one, good, one good step. Um, another, and of course, other things you can do is eating a lot of fiber, you know, and that's, that sounds boring and, you know, like cliche, but it's really true. And it's not just getting some Metamucil. It is eating a lot of different vegetables and a diversity of vegetables. Um, high fiber is super important. And then also diversity of vegetables also gives you our microbiome a lot of different types of nutrients and encourages um, more floral, like a diverse flora. So lots of, and, and then, so lots of vegetables. Um, and then the other thing you can do is exercise. It actually reduces uh, from a, when I had cancer, exercise, having really pretty hardcore exercise reduced my risk of recurrence by 50%. And it's been shown that of course, you know, it's going to reduce your risks to get in the first place quite a bit as well. Um, and then another thing they found is having a daily aspirin. Uh, actually over a period of five or 10 years reduces your risk quite a bit. It's been really studied. Um, of course, there's downsides with the daily aspirin with um, stomach bleeding, and there are some risks, but, uh, but that you can add helping you protect you from colon cancer as, as another long-term benefit of taking a baby aspirin each day. And then the last thing I would do is avoid antibiotics. Um, I, because if you think about it, if we're really trying to keep a healthy microbiome, the best way to just like throw, throw that way off and kill all of your healthy flora is to have an anti antibiotic. Um, so, and I, I really think that actually taking antibiotics as a child, um, I had a heart condition. And so I had to take a lot of antibiotics in the eighties, um, for that, every time I had my, my, my teeth cleaned, I kind of wonder if actually having a disrupted microbiome as a kid, it might've been a risk factor um, in getting cancer um, you know, as an adult. So just being really careful with antibiotics for yourself and of course with, with your children. Um, none of these things are actually fully proven in, you know, and, and if, as a, your audience being understands healthcare, you know, getting any definitive, you know, smoking, gun answer on what causes what it's a pretty high bar of evidence so none of these definitely have been shown to have a causal relationship but they're all um, theories that a lot of scientists are tracking down to understand why colon cancer is rising so quickly in young people and we're thinking the microbiome is a likely culprit well appreciate you you know with that caveat and this is the point where we'll shift from talking about butts and guts to maybe a couple of uh, more fun questions that we do. I do ask all of our guests, and that's not to minimize the importance of that conversation we just had. I like to ask my guests, especially this year in the year of craziness, the pandemic, if they had one wish, could be anything they want, what would it be and why? I'm going to give you two. I mean, hopefully... I wish I will live to at least 90 with super high quality of life and um, happiness. 
um, high, you know, long life that's high quality. Uh, that would be my main wish. But my secondary wish is that everyone who's listening to this um, gets a colonoscopy in the next in the next year if they haven't done so already. So I like that little dual personal and public little pro tip. You could have asked for an infinite amount of wishes and then you could have got those two and <laughs> plus a million dollars or whatever else you wanted. But I like the fact that uh, you're thinking, you know, local and then big picture. Uh, last one, which is truly a fun one, thinking about, you know, I guess not being being stranded on a deserted island is not fun, but the album choice, you know, which one would you choose and why is fun? Tell us uh, what your pick is. This is hard. Um, I'm not great with music. I have, but I think about all the times I'm asked for music choices when I'm listening to MRIs. Um, and I keep going back to cake, uh, you know, cake, like the eighties, weird eighties band. I don't know. There's something about that lyrics that I just, um, I kind of love every song, but so I don't know, that's one answer. And then the other answer is of course, Hamilton. Um, I'm a unabashed massive Hamilton fan and uh we uh yeah so um so one of those two probably hamilton is what i would choose well excellent choices and probably as far apart from a choice perspective as you could find but <laughs> maybe you sneak one album into the jacket of the others and you can get both of them there with you but uh brooks i really appreciated this conversation i think you've shared a lot of great perspective and uh watch outs for people and you know again strong message of be an advocate uh, so for those listening in, this is Brooks Bell, who is the founder of a digital analytics consultancy, but also good person, lifesaver, advocate around uh, getting colonoscopies and preventing colon cancer. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Aaron. And I wanted to last finish with one last thought. Um, if anyone wants to help with this cause, uh, I would love for you to consider making a donation to the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. That's ccalliance.org. Uh, and uh, just say that you wanted to go towards prevention. We have a pretty, some pretty big plans. I'm on the board of the nonprofit now, and um, we'll put your work, your, your money to work. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is Aaron Strout, CMO W2O, host of the What to Know podcast show, and hopefully we've made everyone just a little bit smarter around colon cancer today. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.